previously in impeachment. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Opposed, no. No. The House voted to charge the president with abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. No one is above the law, and the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. But has the president really been held accountable if Nancy Pelosi refuses to send the articles of impeachment over to the Senate? Meanwhile, other House Democrats seem to be suggesting they'd prefer never to transmit the articles. Fine with me. So Jim Newell, Slate's man in Washington, I want you to answer one question for me. Is the president impeached or not? Uh, let's go with sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's go with shrug I mean, emoji. He was, he was impeached in the House. I know there's a technical argument about which there's going to be, you know, law review articles written about whether he's actually impeached if the articles haven't been transmitted to the Senate. But he's impeached. There's a vote on impeachment. He was impeached. <laughs> well, you were there for the vote. December 18th, everyone gets into a room in the House of Representatives, <laughs> decides to vote. And can you just put us back in that scene? Sure. So I uh, made the mistake of showing up around 9 a.m. when, you know, for the start of the debate. And there were a few Republicans tried a few procedural motions just to sort of slow down the process early on. But then there was a couple hours of debate on the the rule, i.e. The, the procedure under which impeachment would be debated. And then there was another seven or so hours of debate. And I was in the chamber for all of that, which was a really stupid idea because I should have just shown up around six o'clock when debate was wrapping up and we sort of have the heavy hitters coming up and giving their speech and then we actually have the vote. So it was. So you were there for all of the throat clearing. All of it. Can you believe I did that? I don't know why I did that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did. I did take a couple of breaks just to, to mosey around to get lunch. But um, otherwise, I was in that chamber <laughs> for the entire time. I mean, you wrote about how the Republicans were really just enjoying themselves like they were loving life. Yeah. And I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if their read on the politics is correct or if they were just sort of uh, putting on a show of their read of the politics. But I think they really think Democrats are making a big mistake. You know, this conference after they're, they're drubbing the last elections is more conservative than, than previous House Republican groups. So, you know, there weren't ever a lot of defections in play, but there was no one, I mean, even close to voting for impeachment on the Republican side. And I think they felt really animated that they were able to hold the line like that. It was just one of those moments where it felt like they think that that's going to help them pick up a lot of seats in the next election. I don't know that that's right or not. Whereas on the Democrats, I think you had a little bit more, you know, unease among some of the vulnerable members, even though they all also got almost entirely in line behind impeachment. I think some of them, you know, are still a little nervous and know that this is going to make their reelections a little more challenging. Well, and there's this issue, which is the Constitution is really light on specifics about what happens after a vote like this. So the idea is that the House was supposed to send the articles to the Senate. The Senate holds a trial. But Mitch McConnell had been saying openly, while I'm working hand in glove with the White House. And everything I do during this, I'm coordinating with White House counsel. There will be no difference between the president's position and our position. So then we got this idea that sort of burbled up from the legal community. What if we just held the articles of impeachment back? Yes, we did. And I'm a little surprised how quickly that 
that theory gain traction within the the House Democratic Caucus? Because it was really just a couple of days before the impeachment vote when you had uh, Lawrence Tribe, who's the the esteemed Harvard professor. He wrote in the Washington Post that the House is under no obligation to immediately turn over the articles to the Senate. Um, and then, you know, during the debate, there were some members, you know, more liberal members saying outside the chamber that this is something they really need to consider just because it's going to be a, a sham of a trial that Mitch McConnell was preparing. And then, you know, we didn't know if that had exactly gotten up to House leadership entirely. I, I was at a, a press briefing with Steny Hoyer the day before. He had said that's probably not the path we'll go down, but it's an interesting idea. But then, you know, the next day after the impeachment votes, Nancy Pelosi is asked about whether she'll transmit the articles, and she was noncommittal. And hmm. I think that was a little bit of a of a surprise that this theory had gotten all the way up to her into, you know, at least to the point where she's not committing to naming the impeachment managers and sending it over to the Senate right away. Well, it's funny because I, I really do have this question in my mind. Like, what is the game plan here? Because as soon as this yes. hold was announced, <laughs> you saw... You know, the Republicans kind of embracing it, like, sure, don't send us the articles of impeachment. We're cool. Right. So here I I also have been trying to figure out what exactly the, the leverage is for a couple of weeks. I'm not sure I, I have an answer. I mean, if you look at the original uh, Lawrence Tribe op-ed, he writes, he's talking about withholding the articles. As a tactical matter, it could strengthen Senate Major Minority Leader Chuck Schumer's hand in bargaining over trial rules because of McConnell's and Trump's urgent desire to get this whole business behind them. Now, that's one for two there. I think Trump does have an <laughs> urgent desire to get this behind him, and I think he would like a quick acquittal, and he could say that, you know, this was entirely disproven, he did nothing wrong, blah, blah, blah. I don't think McConnell cares. Actually, I know McConnell doesn't care. I mean, he has said, you know, pretty openly, I don't care if we never have a trial, you know, and there are a couple of reasons for that. One, he wants to preserve his floor time so he can keep confirming judges. And two, he has some vulnerable members like Cory Gardner, Susan Collins, Tom Tillis, some others who are up for reelection this coming cycle. And if he has an option of them not having to vote one way or another here, like he's going to be pretty happy with that option. So it'll be interesting to see when Pelosi and the rest of the House comes back early next week is... Um, if, if that's still sort of the thinking that, OK, well, let's just try to, you know, hash out a deal in the next couple of days and then get the trial going. Or if this really is going to be a, a sort of indefinite hold that could go on for a while. On Friday, we got a better idea of how political leaders are thinking about this trial when Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer made speeches from the Senate floor. McConnell basically called the Democrats chickens. He expressed outrage that Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in the House would try to control the process he oversees. Some House Democrats imply they're withholding the articles or some kind of leverage so they can dictate the Senate process to senators. Dem Democrats made the choice in the House to get this done by Christmas, pretty much, and now they're expecting the Senate to try and gather more information when we can't just, you know, try what they've already given us. And I think that's, you know, that's not an unreasonable point. But then Chuck Schumer spoke. He tried to keep the emphasis on what Democrats want, which is rules that guarantee senators and the rest of us. We'll hear from key witnesses who have until now been silent. There has never, never in the history of our country been an impeachment trial of the president in which the Senate was denied the ability 
to hear from witnesses. So the four witnesses that Chuck Schumer has requested are Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, uh, former National Security Advisor John Bolton, an Office of Management and Budget official Michael Duffy, and uh, a national security aide to Mick Mulvaney named Robert Blair. Schumer said that these witnesses, they were especially important in light of some new reporting that's come out over the last week. More breadcrumbs linking the president to a hold on military aid to Ukraine. Allegedly, the White House held this money back to convince Ukrainian officials to investigate Joe Biden. One of those emails released yesterday was from Michael Duffy, one of the witnesses we've requested to the Pentagon controller. And it read, quote, clear direction from POTUS, the president, to continue the hold. Clear direction from the president to continue the hold. Many of these emails that were reported on in the last week, originally, they were released with heavy redactions. But the New York Times and the website Just Security revealed what the Department of Justice had blacked out. It is completely redacted. Every word crossed out, not available, can't be seen. And keep in mind, these are the same things that Congress has been requesting and hasn't been getting. And you can see what the Department of Justice has decided to redact. What they've decided to redact is people directly linking the hold on aid to the president, specifically saying the president is requesting this via the chief of staff, saying, you know, this comes from POTUS. And also the frustration of people, for instance, at the Pentagon, because the Pentagon, they had already decided they were going to release the aid. It's very rare I don't know if it's ever happened that someone then claws the aid back. And so they get into this fight with the budget folks at the White House. And at the end, you know, you can sense the frustration. The the quote is, you know, you've got to be kidding me, I think, from this woman at the Pentagon saying, what are you doing? Well, I mean, that was sort of I mean, she just. Yeah, she said, I'm speechless because what happened was you know, there's this unexplained hold for all these months, and it's going into, you know, late August, early September. And then the OMB is saying to this Department of Defense official, like, you've been told to prepare to release this aid for whenever the hold is lifted. So if the hold is lifted and the money doesn't get out in time before the September 30th deadline, then it's your fault. And I mean, I thought she was polite in her response saying just I am speechless and not just cursing him out, you know. I mean, it was really quite it was really quite an incredible thing. Right, because she had been warning him. And it was for also weeks. just it was like classic like DC just like buck, buck passing, you know, like it's not my fault, I'm protecting myself, we're protecting protecting our agency here. You know, it, it was just gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and she and it's interesting because it's just very disorganized what it shows, where, you know, the way they're withholding this aid is just by, you know, putting a footnote into a document and then the footnote kind of changes. And at first the Pentagon's like, you really need to put in there if, if we don't get this released by August 12th, we, we may not be able to release it. Like we just won't be able to like work the levers in time. And at first that note is in there and then gradually that note is not there because clearly it's not a, a detail anyone wants to highlight. Right. And I think in terms of, you know, looking to see whether this just shows a dysfunctional government process or whether it enhances the case that there was corrupt intent on Trump's part. And what Democrats have been saying was they never notified Congress of this hold, which meant that they had something to hide. So I think that's what they're going with. But they also, you know, 
they still need to prove that a little bit. I mean, it seems like a strong inference as well, but it's you always want to see more and more and more, but you're just not quite sure um, when you're going to to get that. So I, I just don't know if there's some specific thing that Schumer and Pelosi have heard that they think they can get, you know, just with the documents they've requested and with the specific witnesses that they want to hear from. But um, at some point, I think people are going to lose their patience with this withholding process or just forget about it. So we're talking on January 3rd. But during the during the Christmas break, we did see some senators begin to sort of dip their toes in the water of saying they were disappointed at how Mitch McConnell was talking about how he would run the trial in the Senate. It was, it was kind of the usual suspects, Senator Collins from Maine, Senator Murkowski from Alaska. What did you hear from what did we hear from them in the last couple of weeks? So I guess the, the parts that, been, that has been highlighted is that they were either very disappointed or disturbed or found it inappropriate to hear Mitch McConnell say, as he did at a press conference a few weeks ago, that he does not consider himself to be an impartial juror and that he's working hand in glove with the White House. So, you know, that's Murkowski Collins. But they also both send their statements that they think the House has run this process in a really silly way. They both have mentioned that if there was a dispute over getting documents or compelling witnesses, they should have taken that to the courts and let it play out. I didn't necessarily see anything in there. There's actually, I think Politico wrote yesterday, there's a big difference between feelings and actions. You know, they feel disturbed, but are they disturbed enough to to actually uh, force McConnell's hand and, and break from him in order to get witnesses? And I, I don't know if we've heard, if we've seen that much. How many senators would need to break off to force Mitch McConnell's hand here? Four. So what's the math here? Like, who are we looking at? So the ones that everyone has sort of been thinking the most likely would be Murkowski, Collins, and then uh, Senator Cory Gardner from Colorado, who's the most endangered Senate Republican this cycle, uh, and then maybe Mitt Romney, who, you know, is not endangered, but has been pretty vocal in um, how disturbed he's been by the entire Ukraine scandal. Um, he's really actually been pretty alone in his caucus in expressing, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of anger at the Trump for the way this played out and a lot of interest in, in hearing what the full story was. So those are the four likely su- uh, suspects. Then there are a couple other vulnerable to semi-vulnerable members like um, Martha McSally from Arizona, Tom Tillis from North Carolina, Joni Ernst from Iowa, who are all up for re-election this cycle. Um, you know, who else would it be? I was in a, a uh, reporter roundtable with Chuck Schumer the day after the impeachment vote, and he he said that the universe is larger than you think. What and was the what was the context for that comment? Like what what was what was Schumer trying to say there? Well, someone had asked him if, you know, there were any more that were capable of flipping on some of these votes beyond Murkowski, Collins, uh Gardner and Romney, and he was he was trying to suggest that there were a lot of people who are concerned about what they've heard and would like to hear more. So he was trying to suggest that there, there are many more potential Republican votes out there. They're persuadable. You know, I didn't believe him, to be quite honest. I, he said that, and I said, no, it isn't. You know, I, I, think it's, it's, I think it's four to five people. I don't think that, I mean, Tom Tillis has been pretty lockstep behind the president. Uh, Martha McSally, I do not see her breaking with Trump. Joni Ernst, same thing. She's a member of Republican leadership. You know, to be quite honest, I, I really have trouble seeing any of these members breaking with McConnell 
to force his hand to try and compel original witness testimony. I just don't think that Republican senators feel under much political pressure to get more information or really that they view this as difficult for them politically in the first place. I just, you know, you look at the House, it was completely unanimous. The Senate, I think there are some who, you know, are not condoning Trump's actions, but it's a big deal to overturn Mitch McConnell's control of the floor. And I just don't see them feeling enough pressure, anywhere near enough pressure to do something like that. I think it's, it's you know, right now what Mitch decides is what goes. We'll be back after the break. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With so much up in the air in Washington, I asked Jim to do one more thing for me. Lay out what the options are here for a trial. When Congress is fully back next week, what happens then? So I, you know, there are a few possibilities for how this could turn out. One is that this Lawrence Tribe idea that of like bank shot leverage, you know, is going to work out and Democrats get all their witnesses and the documents they want, and then the trial starts immediately. You know, I don't see McConnell giving into that. So that would be Schumer wins. Yeah, yeah, that would be a complete Schumer win, yeah. Schumer and Pelosi win, I should say, because she is putting her neck on the line right here. You know, another is that Democrats have sort of gone out on a ledge here and just need to find some way to save face you know, in order to transmit the articles to the Senate, they, they have to get some sort of contention, concession from McConnell, even if it's a, a superficial concession. So I think that this is a likely possibility. And then the other option is that the articles are never transmitted, um, which I I just don't think that's really tenable. I think it would don't really see that lasting. I don't think that's what Pelosi ever wanted to do. Maybe she thinks she's prepared to do it, but I think it would make a lot of her vulnerable members who you know, we're really trying to keep politics out of this in their messaging that this is about national security and they were compelled to impeach President Trump because of what he had done. I think, you know, if you hold on to them forever, they're going to get very irritated about that. And they're going to, you know, let Speaker Pelosi hear that. Well, I mean, we haven't talked about the other option, which is all of this just kind of goes away and Mitch McConnell wins. And what does he want? Uh, I, yeah, I think a total win for McConnell would be just a week of, of the impeachment managers presenting their case, a week of the defense, a vote, it's done, move on, go back to confirming 32-year-olds to, you know, the, the Supreme Court or whatever. But I, I think that's sort of similar to the idea of giving Pelosi and Schumer something to save faith, to save faith, and then going ahead with the trial as planned already. So your bet is on some kind of little fig leaf for the Democrats, and we're getting this over with on a pretty tight timeline. I don't know. I just... I have, I have trouble seeing a, a total win for Democrats here. Um, my bet is that we will get a trial. That is, <laughs> that is my bet. Jim Newell, thank you so much for chatting about all this. Thank you. Jim Newell is our senior politics writer here at Slate. And that's the show. 
What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Daniel Hewitt, and Mara Silvers. Special thanks today to Rosemary Belson out of Slate, D.C. I'm Mary Harris. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. If you go there, at the very top of my timeline, you'll see a little video that will teach you how to get your Alexa to play this show. It's super easy. It's kind of cool. Go check it out. We'll be back next week with more What Next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.